0: Three, two, one.
1: I think it is very much something that is just so embedded into our culture that people don't question it. It is something that we are taught from a young age is what adults do, it's how adults socialize, it's how they deal with stress, it's in movies, it's in TV. What's really interesting as someone who doesn't drink, I notice a lot now.
0: Amanda White calls herself a retired party girl turned relatable therapist. She is the founder of Therapy for Women and the Therapy for Women Center in Philly. She has garnered an incredible community online where she shares her pieces of therapy advice and has most recently written a book called Not Drinking Tonight, A Guide to Creating a Sober Life You Love. And I love this conversation because there's a lot of nuance in it. It's not just for people who do drink or don't drink or are somewhere in between. Alcohol culture is something that impacts every single one of our lives. It's a thing that we don't often talk about, at least in a very open and comfortable way. And Amanda and I both think it's time we do that. So we connected to have this conversation with the intention of being of service to you and however this may impact you and your loved ones. I am someone who has intimate relationships with people who have struggled or are struggling with addiction. And so this was helpful in that It helped give perspective and guide me through some of the conversations that we can be having and some of the ways we can be more intentional and how we engage in connection, organizing, and just having a good time. This conversation with Amanda uh, does contain talk about addiction and eating disorders. And I'm letting you know that as a content warning this is told through the lens of hope and openness. So I hope you enjoy and let me know what you think. Welcome to this guided storytelling session with Amanda White. Thank you so much, Amanda, for joining us on Podcast Noor. Um, we're so excited for this storytelling session and just have been following along and especially during the pandemic to the pieces of advice that you've been giving people and how to care for their brains and how to care for their hearts. And I wanted to start off by asking you how your heart is doing today.
1: Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Um, My heart is restless today. Mm. I feel like I am in this transition I think a lot of us are in a
0: transition yeah. right now. Yep. Um, I, I That's the, that's the yeah. word that keeps coming up as I write about it too.
1: Yeah, where it's like it's fall, the new year is somehow coming soon. There's a lot left to do, um, but it's also exciting, but there's mm-hmm. a lot to do to get there before I get there.
0: <laughs> yeah, and
1: sometimes when
0: you – work towards those lots of things to do before we get there I was I actually literally just told Adam like it feels like every single time I cross a big thing off of my to-do list another big thing appears onto my to-do list and it like I we had just gotten the house cleaned and this thing that was on our to-do list which was like to hang this rack for the longest time and it's been up for like two months just totally collapsed and I was like okay cool, cool 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 so like you can At potentially be working on some of the same tasks for a really long time and before it actually is crossed off the list or the hypothetical list that you have. And sometimes it's a house task, like (laughs) hanging a rack, and sometimes it's kicking a habit that you uh, find out isn't very good for you. And that is what we are here to talk to today about. Um, you are working on an upcoming book on just taking an examination of your life and how alcohol relates to it I would love to know what your intention was for this gathering of thought
1: yeah yeah really for me the intention is that We talk about alcohol in a very interesting way in our culture and, you know, Western culture, I think, where it's really, we talk about drug use as something that um, isn't, you don't have to justify if you don't use drugs, but when it comes to alcohol, there is a narrative Mm. that there's something wrong with you you if you don't drink, and... I don't drink. I've been sober for seven years, and I didn't totally identify with the label of an alcoholic. I took it on anyway. Um, But more and more, I'm really interested in furthering the conversation about getting out of the labels and really having people just curiously look at, is your life better with alcohol?
0: Wow. Well, let's start at the labels because that's something that I have been Uh, really deeply contemplating and what it means for us to either label ourselves or apply those the words to other people or even try to fit ourselves within labels because we think that that is the most efficient way to define ourselves as a therapist when you guide people around the language of labels in general which direction do you often head
1: it's so unique depending on the person you know I think I am someone who doesn't personally love labels for myself. I think often in our culture, the default is labels. So I try to not go towards labels if possible because a lot of my clients come in with preconceived notions of labels of things that are wrong. For some people, labels can be helpful. It feels like someone understands them if they can have a word to identify what they've been feeling. But for a lot of other people, it feels stifling. It feels like they're subjected to this curse that they're going to have to carry around forever. And then they can get stuck with the label. So I think it depends on the person.
0: Mm, That's really interesting because the stifling part is something that, you know, as we talk about this transition period, when we think about how we've been evolving, especially in the last couple of years, I've noticed that repeat, like for me personally, the use of labels has, or just putting them aside even has allowed for so much more space to ask different questions, to be more curious, to be more open and to know that, you know, even if you have certain opinions or have certain ideas or have certain identities, even those are things that are not set in stone. And You know, with the Internet, of course, when everything that you've ever said has been documented and archived and people are oftentimes too nervous to evolve and how they think because it's like, well, then I'll have to explain myself. And I'm like, well, what is there to explain? We're just we're growing like we should be Mm -hmm. expecting that we are all growing and When it happens on a personal level, I think a familial level or relationships or friendships or whatever it is, that growth can feel really hard and really lonely. In particular, I think with drinking, whether or not you don't drink and now you're deciding to drink or you do like wherever it is on the spectrum that that you are in relation to alcohol, it's something that, you know people take really personally I've noticed and yes. I will clarify like in the beginning of this conversation I personally have never drank for personal reasons and um, so I've only been an observer around like my coworkers or or people who I've spent time with and I'm familiar what, with what it is like to see the culture of it on the outside and realize how deeply 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 ingrained it is in American culture, especially because yeah. I've often felt left out, like of things that I maybe have wanted to participate in, and in like hanging out and you know being on the same like level or the same. I, in my head, I keep thinking of you know happy hours at work and just like knowing that you're still always a, like you're still always not one of them. Quote is what I used yeah. to say. It's like I still don't feel like I fit in. And I haven't questioned enough, like, whether there's a way to fit in. Like, there's a way to not fit in and, like, shape yourself to what people want you to be, but just for there to be a general understanding that there are, you know, everybody does their own thing. So I would love if you could clarify for me and for people who are listening as someone who has been sober for seven years Mm -hmm. how do you now view our socializing culture in relation to alcohol
1: I think it is very much something that is just so embedded into our culture that people don't question it it is something that we are taught from a young age is what adults do it's how adults socialize it's how they deal with stress it's in movies it's in tv I mean What's really interesting as someone who doesn't drink, I notice a lot now like in TV and movies how whenever a character is going through a hard time at the end of the day, they pour a glass of wine, they're at work, they're like, you know, drinking hard liquor, whatever. So it's really interesting, I think, how much it's not questioned and I think that there isn't space for that and that's one of the bigger issues is that because we're so like if there's – you either should drink but if you don't drink – You're either weird, like you were kind of saying, or you're an alcoholic and there's something wrong with you and there aren't any other options.
0: Mm. Where do you think this is
1: where this started? I mean, there's a lot of research that has been done really interestingly about um, alcohol culture, essentially. And in my book, I kind of go way back to the beginning of alcohol culture. But if you think about... um, especially rates now with women are rising so much and women actually drink the same amount as men now, according to studies, which used to not be the case. Um, I mean, a lot of it is in terms of just, this is what it means to be a woman. Like there's been a lot of marketing money actually spent on, especially with the shift away from cigarettes. A lot of the same marketing tactics we're now seeing used towards women's alcohol. If you think about rosé and like all of the different types of mommy wine culture and stuff like that a lot of alcohol is being marketed a lot more towards women these days
0: Mm, that is I mean I've seen this even on a personal level of people I know who have been struggling with alcohol addiction and have said you know it was like the only it's like the culture that I know it's what I was expected to do even if there are people who in their own families have had the same had have had struggles and um are finding out you know addiction is a disease and if you are if it's been in in the generations of your family like it you may be susceptible to that is some is that something that you have found to be true in your research
1: yeah absolutely I mean it is I don't know the statistics off the top of my head but it is there's a big biological component to addiction and then there's also the component of you are more likely to abuse a substance if you grew up watching someone else use Mm. it to deal with life and I think the other big piece of this all too is I mean, there's a lot of money to be made in alcohol, right? Like in terms of marketing, alcohol companies sell us the idea, if you look at advertisements, that alcohol is the solution to feeling insecure, to feeling like you Mm -hmm. don't have friends, to feeling like you don't fit in. Like there are not advertisements for other drugs (laughs) on TV, you know? So we don't get those messages where we all see the messages of, if i want to be cool, if i want to have fun, if i want to have a good time, i'm going to drink this beer, i'm going to drink this wine, whatever.
0: Mm. What you what you write about what you talk about isn't to get people to all stop drinking. It's to be more mindful of your relationship with it. And that's like that's honestly the intention of this conversation is like how are, how do we become more mindful of something that impacts every single person, regardless of how much you drink or whether or not you drink or whatever it is. Because it is such a staple in our culture, what are some of the patterns from your clients, your readers that you have picked up on or that you have noticed are common story threads of how people feel about even having this conversation? Mm.
1: I think one of the best examples I can give is that people have shared my book like I've had friends or colleagues that have said like look at this like you know someone I know wrote this book and just in people seeing the title which is not drinking tonight people have reacted defensively to someone just sharing my book and said things like what does this mean are you trying to say that I drink too much does this mean we're not drinking at this wedding does this do you think that you have a problem just wow. with, even when someone's given context that this is my friend who wrote this book.
0: OK, so then let's unpack that. Where <laughs> yeah. is the weight of that reaction? Because I I mean, I literally have had people say to me when I I'm like, yeah, no, I don't drink. I'm good. Their reaction is, well, like, are you judging us for doing that? And I'm yeah. like, my decision to not drink has nothing to do with you. Do your thing like, yeah, I'm not thinking about you. But I've noticed this repeatedly. So what, where, what is that? Where does it come from? Yeah.
1: I think part of it is just the fact that in our culture, it is not OK to not drink. And you people are so afraid of being labeled an alcoholic. Why?
0: Why is it not OK?
1: because we have an idea of what an alcoholic is. We think of an alcoholic as someone who is bottom of the barrel at the end of their life. They've lost everything. They've been in and out of jail, DUIs, they're sitting on the stoop, you know, with a brown paper bag. Because if you look back at the history, I mean, being an alcoholic was one of the worst things you could possibly call someone. It used to be that those people had no hope. And they were just banished to asylums, essentially. They were like, quote unquote, insane people, not even that long ago. Like in the night as it, Alcoholics Anonymous didn't come out until 1932. So until then, there was no treatment. They didn't think it was a disease. It was a choice. And it was so wrapped up in morality that you were doing this on purpose to yourself. And there's still so much morality attached to it because of that history.
0: Wow, I, I sense a lot of gaps in like how we discuss this because if people, if this is so ingrained in our culture and people know the rabbit hole that engaging with a substance can take you down, you may not have an addiction yourself but you know or you can understand why someone could get there, where is the disconnect between, like, understanding the addiction, the disease of addiction? Because I think about this with, for instance, like, people I love who struggle with this problem wanting to be engaged in family activities, Mm -hmm. but if there's alcohol at family activities, like, nobody discusses, nobody's like, this might be... This might be a little like triggering for someone or this might whatever. Should we be mindful? Like it's kind of like you're on your own because this is like what this is what we do. Why are we missing the the bridge? Is there even a bridge to extend to make it comfortable for everyone I, involved?
1: I think there's definitely a bridge to extend. I think the crazy thing is people think even extending a bridge can be somehow a somehow a like an accusation that they have a problem, like, and I think that might be where the defensiveness comes from. But I think in terms of, I mean, one of the simplest things someone could do to help someone is serving drinks at their get together that aren't only alcohol, so that someone has another option. Yeah, that water. was a, <laughs>
0: totally. I mean, that's that's part of that like social cultural uh, part. I remember a few years ago my sister called me and she worked at this ad agency and she was so upset because every single like uh, work gathering or party or celebration was surrounded by alcohol. It was like a wine tasting or this happy hour or this bar hopping whatever it was and she was like I feel so left out there isn't even like an option for me besides water and she got her team to like bring in mocktails and non-alcoholic mm-hmm. drinks and have a conversation around it. But it was a fight. And I'm just like, it. Yeah. it's so, it's kind of like very, um, really simple. And, and maybe, you know, people don't realize that it isn't as thoughtful when you're not being inclusive of everyone around because at the end of the day, we are all wanting to feel connected and wanting Absolutely. to be a part of whatever it is that we're celebrating.
1: Yeah. And I think too, it's, I think that people don't think of it, like you said. I think also we are so ingrained and this is what we do. This is what's fun. I think a lot of people start drinking when they're young. They start drinking in high school. They start drinking in college and they literally don't even have the tools to handle life, to socialize, to deal with their emotions without alcohol because it's what they've been using for so long.
0: Walk us through your personal journey with alcohol, where it started, what what feelings you remember, and how that evolved.
1: Yeah, so my journey really started in terms of I had a pretty severe eating disorder when I was in high school, and when I got to college, it progressed into alcohol use like a lot of people And for me, I loved alcohol because it, very much what you said, it felt like friends in a bottle. It felt just like immediately it took away my social anxiety. I struggled growing up with feeling like I didn't fit in. I moved a lot growing up. And this was just this social lubricant that I felt like I was funnier, I was cooler, I could make friends, and it just felt like an instant it solved my problem and it it worked for a while and i think that that is an important thing to talk about too when we're talking about addiction mm. is there's a reason why people do it it does work in the beginning until it doesn't and for me it started not working when my mental health issues got a lot more severe you know i had a like a i had a really bad breakup that happened and i started And is it alcohol.
0: not yeah and is it not working like the effects of the settling of your nerves and your anxiety no longer work, or is it that it's just create it's creating more problems? Or I both I think it's both.
1: Yeah. Okay. For me it was both. I think uh I think for a lot of people it's both because eventually that is kind of the nature of it is that it starts causing more problems for you that okay. then you have to deal with. And then you're dealing with those problems also by drinking to escape in addition. So it just continued from there and my mental health kind of continued to decline. I um, really struggled a lot with being suicidal in college. And um, when I graduated college, I was lucky to be able to graduate. I got into, I started doing work with a therapist to get into recovery from my eating disorder and I started to realize that I was also still abusing alcohol. And I started to realize how intertwined my relationship with alcohol and my eating disorder was. Where I really was still very dependent on alcohol to make friends, to feel like I was cool, to fit in. And I um, eventually I, I worked with a therapist who essentially kind of asked me to do a 30-day challenge where I didn't drink because I was struggling with alcohol. I lied to her and told her that I did it when I didn't. And as my alcohol use progressed, I had a really big moment of, I was teaching yoga at the time. I was also in graduate school to become a therapist because I wanted to work with people with eating disorders. And I had a big moment of the last time I drank, I woke up Essentially had relapsed in my eating disorder, taught yoga drunk, and had this big moment of recognizing how I was just like the people that I was, you know, studying in school in addictions classes and stuff like that. And I needed to stop drinking because I could see where this was headed.
0: Mm. Did anyone know at the time what you were going through
1: outside well, of a
0: therapist? I-
1: Not really. Um, I mean, my parents knew I was struggling. My parents knew that my eating disorder was definitively a problem. And they suspected there was stuff going on with drinking. But because I never got arrested or went to the hospital, I did not graduate. I never failed a class. Like there weren't those obvious quote unquote signs. So when I came to my parents and I said, I'm an alcoholic, they didn't believe me they were like, what? You're being dramatic. And I had to like stand up for myself and be like, no, I'm like, they didn't want me to stop drinking because they were concerned that it would negatively impact. Like my, they were like, how are you going to make friends? How are you going to ever date? How are you going to get married if you don't drink?
0: Well, let's unpack that. (laughs)
1: yeah (laughs) let's um I love the term let's unpack that that is like a therapy it's a therapist's favorite term
0: I'm oh gosh I love listening to therapists so this is so great for me (laughs) your so your parents insecurities around your relationship building was because they assumed that naturally we do not build relationships without having the substance in hand.
1: Yeah. And they they thought that I was going to make it, quote unquote, harder for myself. Because alcohol makes it easier to make friends.
0: And when you think about that now, what do you think they were projecting onto you?
1: They were projecting that... I mean, as someone, right, like I'm a therapist, I struggled a lot with my emotional health. So I had a flair for really like having anxiety growing up and worrying about things. So I think they thought that I was potentially just being dramatic. I had made a lot of like dramatic declarations to them before. But I think the bigger projection was just they had no role models. They had no reference point. They literally could not imagine Someone dating, someone having friends, someone living a quote unquote normal life without alcohol because they'd never heard of it or seen it.
0: And how did that conversation evolve now seven years later?
1: It evolved a lot. I mean, it took them some time. It took them about a year of them not being sure. They were very, and they were very fixated on the label. They were very fixated on when I said, I'm an alcoholic. They said, no, you're not. Because they had an idea in their heads, like I was telling you, about what an alcoholic looks like. An alcoholic is someone who drinks every day, who has to go to rehab, who has to detox because they're physically addicted to alcohol and they lose everything. And they couldn't under. I wasn't that picture in their minds. So they couldn't understand, right? To them, they were like, only alcoholics stop drinking and you clearly mm. aren't that so you should just be able to moderate your drinking
0: is that also a point of pressure because it immediately makes someone look at themselves and be like well if you think you're an alcoholic do you think I'm an alcoholic
1: 100 percent. that's one of the biggest reasons I think people are defensive and they what assume is your you're response to that
0: yeah exactly like how okay so cool now we know that's like people are afraid of being judged they don't want to be judged that hurts their feelings a lot of times people also don't want to think about the things that they're doing because that hurts their feelings and it's hard of course it's hard it's hard to like face any anything that we know may be questionable for our health or our well-being at that moment especially when it provides a level of relief and we also know that people do struggle deeply you know in the the what you what you're saying like most people think an alcoholic is this well there are also people who are in that on that side of the spectrum who need our support and need our love and that was like something that I really had to think about, you know, when you have a relationship with somebody who struggles with addiction, it's like there's this natural almost... There's a natural codependency. There's the book, uh, Codependent No More, where Melody Beattie writes that, you know, the people who are in the codependent relationship with the person who's chemically codependent, like that codependency is... Almost just as bad, if not worse, for that person's health because we are wrapping our identities around and our emotions and our next moves around the potential of someone's unpredictable actions because they are struggling with something this deeply. And we don't know how to show up for ourselves and for others on different places of the spectrum of alcoholism. What have you learned or what have you seen both for yourself and the support that you've received for yourself and how you give support to people who want to be conscious of their relationship with alcohol?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that, in, I think in addition to offering alternatives, for you know, just drinks that are available and stuff like that. I think also being conscious of what we're doing. If the activity literally revolves 100% around alcohol, like going wine tasting, it is going to be difficult for someone to feel comfortable or to feel a part of that. And there are things that you can plan or do, even if we're talking about simple things like a work gathering or something where there's actually food being served or there maybe you go bowling or you do an activity where it's not the activity isn't just getting drunk I think that's the hardest situation to be in when that is the only activity
0: and what about on a personal relationship level how do we show up for our loved ones who are struggling in this space
1: I think asking questions, because everyone is different. You know, some people really do not care if someone drinks around them. And some people, it is triggering or it doesn't feel as good. So for example, like my husband drinks alcohol. I don't. And one thing that we do and check in and people ask me all the time, how is that for you? How do you navigate that? I don't know if I could do that. And it's because we check in with each other and, in terms of we schedule time where we go on dates and he doesn't drink so that I feel more present with him Mm. and we you know we have times where he knows like if I'm upset or we're disconnected it's not the time necessarily for him to to drink and be disconnected from me where if I'm not there if he's out with his friends things like that then I'm not as you know then I don't get as bothered so figuring out what those triggers are for you and and what you need. And for the individual, I think also setting boundaries. Like you're allowed to say what works for you and what doesn't work for you. Obviously, in a romantic relationship, there may be some boundary negotiation. But, you know, being honest about what you need and asking for it.
0: For people who are listening to this and contemplating stopping to drink what have you found as you were writing your book are entryways into doing that and reflection points on you know people who are sober curious versus like thinking about either drinking in moderation or completely going sober do you have a strong opinion about this
1: right now I think my, my opinion is really that, I mean, I think anyone should be able to question their relationship at any time and not have to say I'm sober, give themselves a label, agree to stop drinking for a specific amount of time. I think that anyone should be able to question their relationship with alcohol and choose day to day, week to week. You know, I think there's, there would be something so cool about people saying, I want to be more present for this moment in my life. So I'm not going to drink for this Mm. moment in my life. Or I'm going through a hard time and I know that drinking right now isn't going to help me when I'm feeling sad compared to maybe you are going wine tasting with friends and it feels good to be a part of that. That's the shift that I would love to see. Of course, I'm for everyone exploring their relationship with alcohol. If you struggle with your relationship with alcohol, I recommend taking a break and starting from there. Um... But I'm really. And how do people start by
0: taking a break? How do people even start that?
1: Yeah, yeah. I think that you start by deciding about an amount of time you're going to try to take a break from. Ideally, you would try to do my recommendation is like 30 days. If that feels overwhelming, I think starting with a week is great. A lot of the tools that I talk about in my book help people understand why they drink how to stop, specifically how do you live life without being, like how do you live life without using alcohol as that crutch? My whole goal in the book is start. see if you can start by taking a 30-day break from alcohol and use the tools that I teach in my book to be able to live life without alcohol. So then you can freely choose if you want to drink and what that looks like for you. But a lot of people can't even fathom taking a break So they don't even have the space away from it to be able to really make an honest choice. And that's kind of the whole purpose of my book is we don't really ever, you know, get proper information about this. We don't often ever get a break to be able to really explore and ask the question, is alcohol making my life better?
0: What are some of the other questions that people can start by asking themselves or that you have found that people may be a little bit nervous to ask themselves?
1: I think the one of them is. Is out like, am I able how is that? I mean, we can start with a basic level of how is alcohol just impacting your physical health? Alcohol has been known to make it really hard to sleep. It really messes up our REM cycle. Alcohol has been known to, it's been linked to a lot of cancers, especially breast cancer. Is alcohol linked to um, your food choices and things like that?
0: Hi there. If you find our work beneficial and you want to support how we build our company at your service, you can subscribe to my Patreon at patreon.com nor it's usually personal writings, and as I build a community on there, hopefully more. Your support is how we build. I also curate a weekly newsletter of all the things I'm benefiting from and enjoying that week. Anything from what I'm reading, watching, listening, buying, and more. Like most things, I keep it personal. You can subscribe to it at nortagori.com slash newsletter. Now back to the story.
1: So I think looking at different aspects of your health, looking at physical health and how it impacts sleep. I think looking at, um, emotional health. I mean, one thing I think that people don't realize that isn't talked about is if you have anxiety, alcohol exacerbates your anxiety. It literally produces alcohol as a depressant. When you intake a depressant, your body produces cortisol and other anxiety, similar hormones to balance you out because your body always wants to be in a state of homeostasis. So if you have anxiety and you drink when you're anxious, you will temporarily feel better and you will feel more anxious the next day. Um, so I have a lot of questions in my book specifically just about how this shows up, about how it impacts your goals, about how... Um, what how are some of those be...
0: questions?
1: Yeah, that's a great... So some of the questions are, what role does alcohol serve in your life? Like, I'm a really big believer in looking at how alcohol, um, there's always a, like I was saying, there's always a reason, there's always a payoff we get out of doing what we do. And honestly, looking at what are the payoffs I get from doing this? And what are the costs of doing this? I think also looking at what, when is alcohol really important for me to feel like I have in my hand? Are there certain events, social situations where I feel like I can't go? without alcohol. I think weddings are a huge one with this. I think going on dates, people feel super overwhelmed by the idea that they would ever go on a date without drinking. What are people so afraid of? I think they're afraid of just awkwardness. They're very just like, it's awkward on a first date. And I I need alcohol to be able to smooth over the awkwardness. They don't, because they've never, right? Like if we think about it, if you're anxious about going on a first date and then you practice going on the first date, you feel less anxious. But if you learn that alcohol is what makes first dates go better, you don't actually build self-esteem that you can handle the awkwardness. You build dependence on the alcohol is what you need to handle the awkwardness.
0: And it's so, and awkwardness in general is like such a, Social construct because th- we don't need to make things awkward. People don't yeah. realize like we can actually just choose. Like I'm just not gonna. F- I'm not gonna like fester on the feeling of awkwardness right now because it's just not worth it. Like I'm. Yeah, we're here. We're we've shown up, and it, I mean it's incredibly hard to do. I just remember a colleague of mine saying, um, I think when she had gone to Chile. She had learned that there wasn't a term for awkwardness, and oh, wow. her friend had said, "Yeah, it's like not a concept that we have here. It's it's like so American for <laughs> for us <laughs> to like create an entire concept for the social awkwardness that we can
1: also just choose to push through." Yes, one hundred percent. Um. um. I think another one is like parenting. If someone is a parent, how does parent, like how does alcohol impact your parenting? How does alcohol impact if you're often feeling hungover around your kids? If you feel like you need to cope by the end of the day, if you need to cope with stress at the end of the day Mm -hmm. by drinking wine, for example, the mommy wine culture, how does that impact you? Is that the example that you necessarily want to set for your kid? what have you learned on a deep
0: personal level from some of the people that you have seen in like their experience with quote mommy wine culture because that's something that is so like just it's I, I see so much marketing around it. I mean, I see people talk about it all the time. It's almost like a, I mean, it, it's, a, it, it's a common cultural touch point. It's a thing that people yeah. like people who participate in are like, I know exactly what you're talking about. What are some of the things within that culture that people who are in it may not actually be aware of?
1: I think that a lot of it is this way to I mean, I think fundamentally people engage in it because it feels like a funny kind of meme. It's like a funny joke of mom needs her wine. And I think that it's not actually help. Like, I think what's so interesting about it is it's not actually helping you. If you're in a position where you feel overwhelmed where you feel like you need wine to be able to parent, there's something else going on that Wine is only exacerbating. I'm not saying parents shouldn't drink wine, but I think in terms of if you're using alcohol as the way to cope with parenting and the stress and be I mean, I'm not a parent. Being a parent is extremely hard. Being a mom, I mean, this is why rates of alcohol have shot up so much in the pandemic too, is a lot of it is because it's, the pandemic has disproportionately affected women, especially moms who are, it's impossible for them to do everything. But I think that alcohol just numbs us from what's actually going on, and then when we're numb to it, it's more difficult for us to change it and create something else. So it just kind of numbs and pushes our problems under the rug, and then we're less likely to take action.
0: What are some of the more common storylines that you've picked up on during the pandemic in particular?
1: boredom has been a huge one people feel bored and they don't know what to do especially at night if they're used to going out so a lot of people reported drinking a lot more because they were just like this is what I'm gonna do on a Friday night or their favorite restaurants started serving to go you know alcohol and stuff like that so that was how they had fun or made it past some of the time The other storyline that's really been going on is people feel really lonely in the pandemic. I mean, the studies on loneliness and isolation and disconnection, especially people who live alone, just it was so difficult. It is still difficult. So alcohol a lot of times became something to do. It became a way to feel a sense of connection to people because there were lots of memes, especially at the beginning of the pandemic, of how People are just getting drunk and they're just drinking to get through it. I think the other thing is alcohol can almost become this way to participate and feel included, like we were saying, even if you're not actually with anyone. Like you're the same because you relate to these memes and you're drinking by yourself too. Right.
0: Yeah. Wow. I mean, yeah, of course. At the end of the day, everybody, we like, we all want to connect, especially so deeply right now. What are some of the ways that you have been connecting with people, either on the internet or your loved ones during this time? Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, as simple as it is, I think one of the best things that we can all do is try to, like, literally get outside, get out of our house. A lot of us are still working from home in this, in this situation. And I think we've been spending so many times on screens, any way you can to get back to, you know, real life, quote unquote, or being outside, being in nature, I think is super important. Um, I think connecting with other people in real life, if you can, or even one of the cool things that I've experienced um, with the community that I have on Instagram is because a lot more people are open to virtual conversation. I mean, it's been really cool for me to connect with other therapists around the country who I may not have, where we do like coffee dates on Zoom, doing things like that, I think can be a really great way to to connect with people. If you, A lot of us, I think, have quote unquote, Instagram friends or people we like, and actually taking that step to talk to them, even if it's virtually, is a really good mm-hmm. thing to do. Thank you
0: so much. I have some not-so-rapid, rapid-fire questions to wrap us up. What is your favorite
1: mocktail and non-alcoholic brand? Oh, this is so fun. Um, It's like a tie. I think I love Seedlip. So Seedlip is this really – yes. I love Seedlip. I loved margaritas. I love salt. So I seedlip is the only replacement I've really found for making a really good non-alcoholic margarita.
0: Ooh, which is your favorite flavor? Citrus. Mm, what is your go-to hang,
1: like thing to do to hang out with your friends? Um, probably to go get coffee. We love coffee, and like walking around, walking to a place to go get coffee going for a walk. What is
0: something that gives you pleasure these
1: days? My dogs. Mm. I have a a rescue pit bull who is just like the love of my life. We adopted him during the pandemic and he brings so much joy to my life. I love that. What is your personal
0: go-to healing method? Stretching. Like Mm. moving my
1: body, but especially I love to stretch because it is such an easy thing that You can kind of just do anywhere for a short period of time. Yeah.
0: Oh, my gosh. Stretching has totally, like, been life-changing recently especially.
1: What is your go-to song for joy? I'm a huge Taylor Swift fan. So pretty much anything Taylor Swift. Fantastic. were. They really got me through the pandemic. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, my gosh. We we moved like, to the I mountains, loved, and that yeah. was like folklore
0: and Evermore were on all the time. Yeah, yeah. What's your favorite? So I, what's your favorite song off of those albums?
1: I mean, I love Champagne Problems, so I wouldn't necessarily put it on for a, a mood booster. Yeah, <laughs> necessarily. <laughs> that one's
0: a really. That's definitely it's, a sad one.
1: It's so great, but I loved Cardigan. I loved Willow. I loved Ivy. Yeah. Love. Amazing.
0: So so many. Yeah. And finally, what do you know for sure?
1: Mm. I know for sure. I know for sure that that things move forward. Like we may not always know. It may not always be the direction we want. But in times when I'm overwhelmed and I'm stressed and I feel hopeless, I try to remember that things continue to move forward and we like, you know, survive kind of day by day and there is hope if we look for it.
0: Thank you so much, Amanda, for sharing your story and sharing your guidance. This has been so lovely. And I look forward to watching you continue this conversation. Thank you so much for having me. For more, Amanda White, you can follow her at Therapy for Women on Instagram. And you can order her book, Not Drinking Tonight, wherever you get your books. As always,
1: at your service.